Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. And speaking of things that were not covered in music school, today we are going to explore some underrepresented composers from the country of Brazil. And here to take us on that journey and to guide us through some of the history and some of these wonderful composers is flutist Guillermo Andreas. Now, Andreas has had a full and successful career as a soloist and a chamber musician that has taken him into major concert halls throughout Brazil and through countries in South America. He has won numerous awards and scholarships and has appeared in recitals, concerts, and presentations throughout the U.S. He's currently based in New York, where he dedicates his time to teaching and to discovering lesser-known composers whose music expresses extreme ranges of emotions and demands tremendous virtuosity. His debut album, Beyond Bossa Nova, explores the stories of romantic classical music from Brazil through the voices of composers of all races, genders, and orientations. So, Andreas, thank you for being here, and welcome to Musicians Versus the World. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And thank you for introducing me to your wonderful album. I have enjoyed listening to that tremendously. Oh, thank you for listening. And I went back and looked at your biography, and something that made me laugh was that you served in the military that you said was, was the perfect preparation for being a musician. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear that story. Would you mind telling me a little bit about your background and your history? Absolutely. So, uh, responding to your question, I joined uh, the Brazilian Marines in 2009. Uh, there was a national audition in Brazil. And there was one spot and I got the spot. So at the time I was in Brasilia, the, you know, Brazil's capital. And then I moved to Rio de Janeiro uh, to go through basic training. And eventually I was named uh, principal flute with the Brazilian Marines. Uh, Wind Symphony, which was a group that I played with for uh, four and a half years, maybe, before I moved to the U.S. Um, that got me ready for what I'm doing now in terms of like, you know, basic training is very intense. Yes. Uh, emotionally intense, physically intense. It's very demanding, right? Which right. is not very, very different from doing classical music. <laughs> you know, all the stress, right. all the complications. And, you know, of course, like they're completely different, you know, worlds. But I would say that, you know, it really got me ready for most of the things I'm doing right now. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now you're in New York City. That must be so exciting and fun. Tell me a little bit about life as a musician there. Yes, it's very exciting. You know, New York has been a dream for a little bit. Uh, I remember I came here in 2015, the very first time. And uh, New York was one of those places that like, you know, you know, when you come to a place and you feel the energy and the energy kind of matches your own energy, that was New York for me, like in 2015. I was still in Virginia. And then I started like thinking maybe I should move here at some point, you know, but I had no money, like, you know, it was very hard and all. So I started like thinking about how I could move up here. And uh, eventually I got a job here in 2019 to teach. And it's been very, very fun. Um, of course, like now the city's like, coming back to what it was because you know the covid pandemic like it was very uh bad especially for new york yes the city was really shut yeah. down yeah. for a long long time and that of course like 
it took the arts, like the performing arts in general, in a very, very bad direction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, you know, it will eventually come back to what it was before. Like there's a right. lot of music going on already. There's a lot of performing going on already. I've been performing uh, as a flutist, but, you know, I also sing. So it's been very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like for instance, last uh, July, I was singing at the Kennedy Center. Uh, I mean, the Lincoln Center. Um and we were singing uh, Mozart's Requiem. Mm. Uh, so it was very interesting. So it's, it's been very cute. fun. Yeah, New York is great. I love, I love living here. Yeah. So what sort of performance opportunities have you found? I mean, you've been singing a lot, and I can imagine there are lots of opportunities for singers to perform. But what sort of opportunities have you found for the flute? Yes, so mostly chamber music. I've been performing sometimes with a duo called Boy Meets Girl. So I've performed with them as well. Uh, I have performed mostly solo as well, flute and uh, piano. I just had a recital two weeks ago, uh, but this recital also I had a trio, which was very uncommon, was uh, saxophone, flute and piano. Oh. Yes. And I performed last month as well. It was a recital all on Brazilian music as well. But this one was two guitars, a bass and, a, and myself. You know, it's been a lot of chamber music, mostly uh, performances that I've been doing so far. And especially because I just released an album. Well, with so many musicians in New York, I bet there's just so many opportunities to make find different combinations of those chamber Yes, groups. but there's so many people here as well, you know. Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's overwhelming sometimes. Oh, so many great musicians, yes. Uh, <laughs> and also because, like, there's so many schools here, you know. So mm-hmm. even... Like there's so many orchestras, there's so many schools, there's so many. So it's, you know, it's a melting pot of like so many great people. Uh, But we still can, you know, are able to do things. So tell me about this album. Congratulations on it, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. What were your reasons for creating this? It's a huge job to record an album. Wow, it is. I had no idea how hard this process is. You know, it's a price. You know, at the end of it, it it just feels like it just, I don't know. It just feel I've done something for myself, but like that yeah. would be great to share with people. So mm-hmm. it all started in 2015 when I was invited to give a lecture inside of Duke University. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a conference on Brazil every two years, I, I think so. And then uh, as far as I know, they were looking for a classical musician from Brazil that was based in the U.S. And someone found uh, my playing on social media or something. And they asked me like, hey, would you like to play for us? Your lecture would be a full recital. And then you would play like all classical music if you could. I was like, sure. So I started doing some research. There's a lot of repertoire for flute on Brazilian music, but it's not everything that's demanding in terms of like, uh, flute playing, or it's not, sometimes I really like playing emotionally uh, right. demanding pieces. Um, and some of the flute pieces that we have in Brazil are not necessarily kind of the pieces that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So I started, look, you know, doing some research. So what I'm saying is that, for instance, I'm very used to playing long pieces. Like, for instance, I love playing sonatas. I love playing the Frank Sonata. I love playing the Prokofiev Sonata for flute. I love playing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those, you know, works that are like 30 minutes. 
Yeah. I was looking for something that would be like that, you know, or pieces that would have a story. So eventually I found all those pieces. And then after the recital, like how people react to it was like so great. And they were like so curious about the music. I started thinking like maybe I should do recording, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a long process anyways, because we started thinking about it, my pianist and myself, Gian Gezu, of how we would do the whole thing. But then COVID came along as well, interrupted the whole process. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually that's the main reason why I did this, pro- this whole project. Like each piece has a story. Each piece tells the story of the composer, the piece itself, and how the piece is, uh, it speaks to me as a flutist, yes. you know. And then so that I can't have a voice and speak to people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that human connection, that music does so well. Yes. For me, it's literally about connecting the music that I'm making to anyone. You know, it doesn't matter uh, where they're coming from or what language they speak. To me, it's the connection is the most important factor, mm-hmm. you know. And as a pianist, I have to appreciate that you chose pieces that had an interesting accompaniment. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you're a pianist. She's just phenomenal as well. She is. She is amazing. Yeah. And the, and the two of you seemed so well connected at the same time. Thank you. Thank you you're so really, much. Yeah. It was, it was just lovely to listen to. I appreciate you saying that <laughs> because it was something that we really worked or try to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's a difficult thing to do, especially when you're recording and you just you just did a beautiful job of that. And how can you explain what this sound is? It's it's different than anything I've heard. It's lovely. Thank you. Um, but how would you describe Brazilian classical music? Uh, so my main goal was to uh, showcase composers from Brazil mm-hmm. that were born before Villa Lobos. So, or after. Composers that wrote beautiful music, but are not very well known because Villa Lobos yeah. is like so prolific. Right. Whenever people think of Brazilian classical music, they usually think of Villa Lobos, right? Yes. Bacchianus 5, which I also recorded. Or even other pieces in terms of flute repertoire, we think of Bacchianus 6, which is for flute and bassoon. Or Shorus number 2, which is for flute and uh, clarinet. Or maybe Bacchianus number 1, which is for cellos, you know, like a group of cellos. But there's more, like there's so many more people, you know. So for instance, the sonata. So I record this sonata, mm-hmm. which is the sonata in the A major. Uh, it's four movements. It's absolutely romantic mm. in terms of European romantic music. So each one of those movements, it's very, very clear. The composer, uh, his name was Leopoldo Miguez. Four movements, they're very distinct, but they're very well written. In okay. each one of them, you can tell... There is, there's some influence by someone. The first movement, you could tell that, you know, he was influenced by Brahms. The second movement, you could t- you can tell because of it's so chromatic, you can tell mm-hmm. it's influenced by Wagner. The third movement, there's some, you know, very interesting, especially in the piano, there's so mm-hmm. many interesting things. You can literally tell he was influenced by Liszt. But there is a fugue in the middle of the third movement, which is very romantic fugue, you know, like things that you can listen like in Brahms, uh, Mm -hmm. Requiem, or, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And mm -hmm. then on the fourth movement, you can clearly tell he was copying Cesar Frank. And the, the, the story is actually that he published the music when Cesar Frank published his violin sonata. So the sonata that I recorded was published in 1896, also the same year that Cesar Frank published his violin sonata. At around that time, Brahms was publishing his violin sonata number three or two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Sun Sun was publishing one of his violin sonatas too. So, you know, uh, there was a lot of people publishing romantic sonatas. It's a big year. Exactly. And Leopoldo Miguez was forgotten. Mm. Why? The reason why there's many, you know, theories, but he was basically forgotten. He was living in Paris, actually, when he wrote his sonata. And he mm. studied with JBC's professor, you know, so... He was literally being influenced by many of those composers. Leopoldo Miguez, he was born in Rio, in Niterói, which is a city um, outside of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, his father was from Spain. Uh, so that's why his name sounds, you know, Spanish. Mm -hmm. He was very, he was a very prolific composer as well in Brazil. And he was sponsored by the emperor in Brazil at the time Brazil was an empire because Brazil was colonized by Portugal. There's a lot of history behind that, too. So he was sponsored by the emperor to go to Europe to study in Paris. So that's why. And actually, when this sonata was published, it was actually published in Germany. He was also friends with Grieg. He was friends with many other composers, you know, which is it's so interesting mm -hmm. or even Around the same time, uh, there's another piece that I recorded. It's called Oriental. In Portuguese, it, it, it means from the east, right? Mm -hmm. So this piece is like very, I don't like this word, but I'm going to use it. It sounds very exotic. And, mm -hmm. you know, on the flute, like there was a flute cadenza in, in the, you know, and it was written by this composer called Patapio Silva. And he was a black flutist in 18... He was born in 1870. So there's a lot of history behind that too. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he was a free guy. He was a black guy when slavery in Brazil was ending. And he was a free black flutist. And he was successful. He, you know, he was a flutist. He was a virtuoso on the flute. He published his music, which for that time, you know, it was, yeah. I mean, even nowadays, getting your music published is such a, an accomplishment, right? Can you right. tell a black flutist uh, in 18, you know, 18, I don't know, 90 or something, Yeah. you know, publishing his music. And he was also going to be uh, sponsored by the emperor to go to Europe and play in Europe. But he died very early. Mm. Uh, so he, he was a contemporary of like, for instance, we now are like talking so much about black composers and like, you know, any other composers. He was a contemporary of Samuel Taylor from England, right? He was a black composer in England. Silva was a black composer in Brazil and he was a successful black composer. Mm -hmm. It's a huge accomplishment. So there's each piece has a history behind, you know, there's a history about the composer. There's a, there was some history about the piece. You know, some stories about the piece and mm -hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love hearing the history behind the composers because it brings so much to the music. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it brings so much to our understanding as performers and as listeners as well. Absolutely.
Yeah, is there a specific composer that you feel like you connected with or a piece that you connected with the most? I think all of them, honestly. Um, there are two, that, I'm not going to lie, there are two that are, I, they are very special to me. Uh -huh. uh, one is Nostalgia by this composer called José Siqueira. There is a story behind that too. So he was a prolific composer in Brazil. But Brazil, uh, at the time, Brazil was going through the military, um, what is it called? Dictatorship. Mm -hmm. And he was called a communist spy. Oh. So he had to be exiled and he was exiled in Russia. Even most of his pieces now, mo most of his works, the title is still in Russian. And uh, he wrote this piece. It's a very short piece, but it's very emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, the melody is very beautiful. The harmony, the progression, you know, is very beautiful. The piano, I love the piano part. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, but he wrote this music because he was missing Brazil. Like he was longing. That's mm. why the, the, the title is called Nostalgia. He was like, there was this longing. There was this like, we have a, a, a word in Portuguese that's called saudade. That means that you're longing for something that you can't have anymore. Um, so anyways, he wrote this music and he died in 1985. And the dictatorship in Brazil ended in 1986. So he never got to go back. He never went back. Yes. Wow. So it's very sad. Like when I tell this story in my recitals, people cry. And then when I, I play the music, you know, because we all are like missing something or someone, you know, like a place that we left behind or someone that, you know. And then the other piece is the last song, which it's the last song of my album. <laughs> the <laughs> title is literally the last song. So this is a work uh, written by Clarice Assange uh, or Clarice Assange, how people would say. She lives in Chicago. She's Brazilian as well. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, she's alive, right? So she's <laughs> she wrote this music for Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, mm. uh, I he Yo-Yo Ma has two albums only on Brazilian music, featuring Brazilian music, and one of them has this piece. And when I heard him play, it was like I have to play this. You mm. know, I don't know who wrote it. I'm gonna find out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was asking people. You know, I was like, who wrote this? So mm -hmm. um, I found out it was Clarice. So I emailed her. And it's and this story is very special to me because like to this day I'm still like overwhelmed with it. Cause she I wrote to her, it was like, you know, uh, where or like how can I buy this music? And I can transpose it for myself and do the arrangement, whatever, because I write as well. And she called me and she was like, Hey, do you want me like to do the transcription? I was like, oh my god, Clarissa is calling me. I can't believe this. And she was like, Oh no, I'm gonna send the music to you. I didn't pay for it. Don't tell anyone. She sent me the music um, and I recorded it. It's very emotional. Wow. You know, the you know, the melody is very beautiful. The harmony is very beautiful too. Like the way she wrote the piano part. And it's very romantic. I wanted to include it, not because that one, not because it's like from the romantic period per se, mm -hmm. but because 
it just sounds like neo-romantic. Yeah, so those pieces are like two that, you、mm-hmm. know, they really like get me. Well, we've had performers and composers come and talk about underrepresented composers before. And I always ask this question, and it's a hard one, but why should we pay attention to these composers? What is it about them that make it so important that we actually know them? I would say that the main thing is that, you know, music is a language. We、mm-hmm. all know this, and we all express ourselves through it. Right. And right.、Um, sometimes we use words. And in my case, I don't because、uh, I'm playing my flute. Right. And usually with piano. And I just feel those composers, there is, historically speaking, they're underrepresented. They're usually people of color. They're either, as we say now, they're either black, they're either brown. And then we go into gender. They're either gay, they're either, you know, trans or anything. Usually, those people have a life of struggles, and those struggles are translated into the music that they produce. And I think that one of the things, if I may say, one of the things is that why we should listen to their music is because they're portraying their struggles through their music. And Because music is a language, and we are here to communicate that language to everyone. And because of struggles, m a k e us human and makes us more compassionate and more connected to each other. So I do think that that will be one of the reasons why we should listen to composers of, you know, underrepresented composers, because of their struggles are being said, they're being told. Through their music. And as we listen to their music, we'll listen to their struggles as well. you know, And then we're being more connected to ourselves and other people and you know, more human. I would say that. Great answer. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you said that you arranged some of these pieces. Yes.、Um, how was that process? I mean, especially you did a Villa Lobos arrangement. That is, is a beautiful piece. Did you feel any weight to that? I mean, it's a great undertaking. Yes,、uh, absolutely. Especially for that one. Yeah. Because it's also so overdone, if、yeah. I may say.、Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many recordings of it, and so many people, not only flutists or singers, like any instruments, really, you know,、mm-hmm. have done this. You know, there's so、right. many recordings of like, you know, cellos, violins, whatever. Right. Violas, right? Everything.、Um, so, yes. And it was very, I could say, like, you know, I could feel like the pressure of like making sound very close to what Villa Lobos wanted.、Mm-hmm. My concern was literally because, like, his arrangement, I don't know if you know this, but he has an arrangement for voice, maybe, or flute and piano, but it doesn't really translate what he wrote for the group of cellos. So, the whole counterpoint that he writes, especially on、right. the bass, boom, 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 do, 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 that's not written on his arrangement for piano. Like, <laughs> this is the main thing. Like, why <laughs> he didn't write this? So, it's literally just the bass is just octaves, it's just boom, 
Boom, boom, boom. That was my main concern. Because like mm-hmm. the beauty of the whole piece is how he mixed up Brazilian folk music to Bach, mm-hmm. you know, all his technique. Right. His arrangement didn't have that. It was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were not trying to imitate the group of cellos, mm. but we were trying to translate the idea as best as we could. Right. So there was a lot of, you know, on her part especially, uh, some technique on like how to play the bass and how to play, you know, the the inner voices, mm-hmm. you know, in order to support the flute. And in my case, how I could play in a ways that you could not necessarily imitate the soprano, but it could flow so musically, you know, on top of the piano part that it actually would really translate his idea. Especially mm-hmm. when I have the middle part. Yeah. When the soprano finally has lyrics, you know, how I could, as a flutist, translate something that literally has a message because the whole it doesn't have lyrics. So it's just, you know, the the singer is one instrument on the on top of mm-hmm. the other instruments how once she has lyrics she has a poem how can i actually translate that so that was a challenge i'm not going to say that i had the answer for it but i tried my best but it was a lot you i'm not going to say i'm not going to lie to you like besides the writing part it was a lot of conversation between myself right. and my pianist how can we do this and uh that was the hardest piece to record. I'm not mm. going to lie to you. Yes, yeah, so it was very complicated. Yeah. yeah, we started recording it, that piece, and then it didn't work. There was something off, and eventually we find out that like the one of the the notes on the piano was not completely in tune. It was throwing me off, oh. and you know, so like the piano wasn't out of tune, but because the bass is so present. There was something in my ears that was not make sense, making sense at all. Oh. So we had to retune the piano. We did the recording the, another day. So it was very, you know, yes. So because we were like trying as much as we could to bring or translate Villa Lobo's idea as best as we could. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was that was a very complicated piece. Like people think that's very easy to play that piece, but it isn't. It's, it didn't sound too easy. well he did it well it sounded it really came across really well so i congratulate you on that that sounded like it took a lot of effort and a lot of collaboration yeah yeah that was a chamber music piece that's for sure if people are wanting to find this or to find you or want to connect with you or come and watch you how do people find you uh the main thing would be my website so my website is just my name, G-U-I-L-H-E-R-M-E, Andreas, A-N-D-R-E-A-S, dot com. Uh, you'll find all the information there. Or I'm also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. I'm not on Twitter and I don't have TikTok. And that's all under your name? Yes, yes. My okay. Instagram is Andreas. G-U-I-M-E. So if you type Andreas, okay. just, you know, you'll find me. Besides Andreas from the Berlin Phil, there is me. <laughs> <laughs> and then your album is just streaming, so you can just get it where anywhere you can get music. Yes. And so as we finish up, what advice do you have for new or aspiring musicians? Oh, that's a great question. I would say get yourself ready to doing things outside music. 
uh, we are musicians, but we're still people. You know, we're still humans and we get to get connected to people. Uh, I love the way Brene Brown talks about um, some things. And one of the things that she says is that we are designed to be connected. We were designed to, or we were designed for connection. So I think as musicians, we should try our best to be connected. Our music is not relevant if we are not connected. That's my opinion. So as much as we can be connected to other people, to a community, or, you know, it makes such a difference in life, especially as we go along. And, you know, now I sound super old, but (laughs) (laughs) I would say that, you know, it's very, very important not to be by yourself. I'm not saying that you shouldn't find, you know, some Mm -hmm. solitude. That's Mm -hmm. not what I'm saying. But, you know, making your music relevant by being connected. So it's, it's one of the things that I would say that's extremely important. That's great. That's fantastic advice. Yeah. And I think music is just another way for us to connect. So yes. Yes. And I have enjoyed connecting with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and meeting you and getting to know you and hearing the stories behind your music. I loved it before I knew the stories. And now I'm going to go listen to it again <laughs> now that I know all the background. And I'm going to truly enjoy it even more on a whole other level. So thank you for that. Thank you. So, flutist Guillermo Andreas, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I hope everyone enjoyed uh, hearing a little bit about myself and my work as well. Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians versus the World podcast in our discussion with flutist Guillermo Andreas as we discussed underrepresented Brazilian composers. You can find out more about Andreas and his album Beyond Bossa Nova on his website guillermoandreas.com. I will have links to his website as well as to his social media and his album in our show notes on our website at frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. If you were as inspired by this conversation as I was, please share this episode with friends, family, or students that may benefit from it. And please leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts so others can find us as well. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts of Sonata in A Major, Opus 14, by Leopoldo Miguez, Oriental by Patapio Silva, Nostalgia by José Siguera, Last Song by Clarice Assad, and Bacchianus Number no. 5 by Hater Villalobos, arranged by Guillermo Andreas. All pieces were performed by Andreas on the flute and Jian Gesu on piano, and were shared with permission. Join us next time, where we'll look into the world of collaboration and composing with award-winning musician and composer Pat Irwin, as we discuss his process in composing music for the hit series Dexter New Blood. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at Thanks so much. <laughs>